Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. In this episode, Brian Duffy, CEO, meets with Gavin Murphy, Managing Director of Breitling UK. In recent years, Breitling have broken away from the tradition of launching their novelties during the fairs and have since paved the way with multiple launches throughout the year to keep clients both engaged and to ensure the brand of the vanguard of new product and communication. Brian and Gavin will be talking about all the releases across the last year, as well as the upcoming launches for 2021. So hello everyone, uh, welcome along to this podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Duffy, I'm the Chief Exec of the Watchers of Switzerland Group and been really uh, having fun doing this series of uh, interviews with, with titans of the, uh, the watch industry. And um, uh, today's uh, today's no exception. I'm delighted to introduce uh, today's uh, guest, who's the managing director of Breitling in the UK, and that's Gavin Murphy. Uh, Gavin, thanks for joining me. Very welcome, and thank you very much for the very uh, very kind words. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, it's great to see you, Gavin. Is um, is a great guy, as you'll find as we talk through this, and uh, a, a great partner with our, our business, and uh, and a good friend, and. Uh, and doing a great job with uh, with Breitling, as I'm sure you Breitling fans out there will uh, will know. So, I mean, Gavin, we'll, we're going to talk through the history of of, uh, of of Breitling and and what made it as famous as it is today, and the various changes that there have been, and then the great collections that you have today. But just before we get into Breitling, tell us a wee bit about your journey into the the, the great job that you've got today. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. It wasn't where I started, I must say, where I started way back when I was an engineer. And um, I started my apprenticeship with that. But after a couple of years of making making cups of tea and sweeping up the mess for the qualified engineers, I realized this wasn't where I wanted to be. And uh, I found myself changing uh, my, my career path and, and fell into menswear, actually. I spent most of my career working with uh, within the menswear industry uh, with with brands that you might know like Gibson and Hawks and Lyle and Scott and Timberland and, and John Smedley to name a few and uh, which were fantastic and got to see a lot of the world and meet some great great partners and, and develop the brands but uh, the, the call came eight years ago just over eight years ago now for for Brightling and it felt like a real natural move on many levels uh, believe it or not I was already a Brightling wearer my my wife 17 years ago uh, for our wedding, uh, bought me a, a Brightling watch for our, my wedding wedding present. So she clearly had more foresight of what was gonna happen in my, my future than me at the time. But uh, but yeah, so I was already a converted, converted wearer and it felt like a real exciting opportunity to join a fantastic brand, which you know, has a wonderful history and, and clearly has a wonderful future. And as they say, if you find a job you love, you never, never have to work again. And that really is the case. So. Yeah, here I am eight years later and it's gone in minutes, Brian, really has. Yeah, well, actually, I think you uh, predate. We came through similar journeys. I was fashion before moving into the world of watches. And I think you were just a year ahead of me uh, overall. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been, a, it's been, it's been excellent, actually. We've, uh, we've had some good times, developed the business very well, and, and, and long may it continue. And uh, Indeed. And... Um, um, and, uh, anybody that's uh, that met, meets Gavin, you're not surprised to know that he's a he's a man from fashion. Uh, but I didn't know you were an engineer, so that's uh, uh, that's news. But I explained a lot. Um, 
So that, this great brand of uh, of Breitling that you have the, uh, the the privilege of of managing, um, great history founded in that really rich period. I think for a, a lot of Swiss brands, the kind of latter part of the of the nineteenth century by by Leon Leon Breitling back then. Yes, I, I must say most most of the serious watch brands have a fantastic history. I mean that's that's what what people really buy into that provenance, that expertise. Um, but, I'm, but I must say, Brightling's history is, is quite something. It really is. Not, not just because we've been going for 137 years. It's not really about the period. It's about, as a brand, what Brightling's achieved and, and invented along the way. I mean, there's been uh, lots, of, lots of things that, uh, that, that the brand have done that really has sort of shaped what the watch industry is today. Probably safe to say, um, yes. Leon back back in 1884 founded the company, and he was a keen watchmaker himself. And as a business, um, we specialised in in making chronographs um, and and precision timers, as they were called then. Uh, timing all sorts of things for sports industry, uh, whether it's for pulsographs for physicians or phonic rangefinders for the military, which is measuring distance from explosions and wonderful things. But equally. Uh, tachymeters for driving and cycling and, and yachting, etc. So, the, uh, Brightling in the in the early days really did carve out their their path uh, in the chronograph world. And notwithstanding, back in it's a little factoid for you, but back in 1906, uh, a Brightling Vitesse was used to actually uh, produce the world's first speeding ticket. So. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's going to make people like the brand more or less, I really don't know. But it did. Uh, it does at least mean that it was a trusted sort of mechanism to to do such a thing. But yes, the uh, the Vitesse was a a chronograph where Leon had, had slowed down the second hand, that it oscillated the dial over a four minute period, which means that you could measure time from fifteen kilometers an hour through to one hundred and fifty. And apparently, it was used by the Swiss police to to book someone for clearly going more than 15 miles an hour. So, um, but yes, moving on uh, at certain dates, 1911, we developed our, our own split second chronograph. But the real probably point in, in our history is, is, where it is 1915. 1915 is a key date where uh, we brightly developed the independent push piece. And what that means is that the, the push piece that you often see now at two, the two o'clock position on a watch was a Breitling patent. Uh, up until then, most chronographs or all the chronographs had the uh, start, stop and reset function done off the crown. Yep. And when people started wearing watches on the wrist, um, uh, the, the, the idea was they painted the idea that put this uh, start, stop function actually at the two o'clock position, which is ergonomically better. Um, and so that was the first for us. And then later on in 1934, another key moment was that Breitling developed the second independent push piece. So it's at the four o'clock position. So when you see most chronographs nowadays, they have, you know, they have that configuration where you have one push piece at the two, the crown in the middle and the four o'clock push piece. So we really were quite pioneering in, in those days in, in painting in and developing and inventing sort of solutions, if you like, for, for, for the, the, the stopwatch or chronograph. Um, in fact, in those days, just to give you a little, uh, a little gem, the, uh, the start stop was done on the four o'clock and reset at the two o'clock. And later on in 1935, he, he perfected it. But anyway, I, I go on. 
but yes, yeah, so there was a lot of um, inventing done in the early days. And then uh, Willie Breitling, who was heading up the company then, really started looking at the world of aviation. Um, obviously, there was a lot going on and there's a lot going on with us going into World War II um, and started to look at, you know, how, how we could sort of uh, develop and support and, and master this sort of area of the business. Uh, and in 1937, patented, I mean, it, it's probably common knowledge if one knows Breitling, but we've supplied most of the uh, onboard dashboards in, in the planes for the, the Royal Air Force and a lot of the big aviation sort of superpowers, KLM, Air France, United Airlines, etc. Um, but actually, back in 1937, uh, really had, had patented again this uh, the, the push piece that was on almost the face of the uh, the instrument. So where before, like on a watch, the start stop functionality would be perpendicular to to the uh, to the dial. If if the instrument was mounted in a cockpit or in a plane, you wouldn't be able to access it. So he patented this that he put it actually parallel with 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 the uh, dial. So therefore, you could easily use it in the, in the cockpit. But so yeah, lots of things that kept us in the aviation world and meant that Brightling become really the go-to brand for any of the, uh, the, the major aviation, our own Royal Air Force and some of the, the big players uh, for their instruments in, in yep. the cockpit. Yeah, which is um, what, you know, today's market is a wonderful heritage to have, you know, real credibility and and market leading when it comes to chronograph and, and effectively Breitling were the inventors of the modern chronograph with the uh, two o'clock and, and, and four o'clock pushers uh, overall. And chronographs just for everybody out there in the UK and US market, 25 to 30% of the market's chronograph. So it's a, it's a hell of a good uh, thing to have in, in your history for the modern market, as is aviation. We all love pilot watches. We love the romance of it all, you know, particularly that era that you're talking about, the sort of uh, first half of the 20th century when aviation was in, in relative infancy to what it became. But uh, to be providing the measurement devices uh, for aviation back there is, you know, a great testament to their kind of authority and technical skills of the brand. Yeah, I mean, the the um, some of these instruments went into... I mean, rigorous testing because it's a high risk, high risk environment. And there's vibration tables that they were left on for, for hours on end and, and put into these extreme uh, conditions of, of, you know, 100 degrees Celsius, Celsius and minus 40 degrees. So it, it was almost whilst the alliance with aviation is, is, is fantastic. It was also acknowledgement of, of the trust, I think, and quality of what Brightling could produce, which, uh, which, which is a testament to, uh, to the company back then. But we were also ever present outside of um, outside of aviation too. I think in the 30s, 40s and the 50s, uh, timing in generally, there was lots of sports and activity going on. We, we as, a, as a brand were in the late 40s and early 50s with an official timer for the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, the World Cycling Championships. So it's a very, very broad field. And we had sort of timers and scales for, for many, many different um, activities that were that were current at the time. But I think if we roll on a little bit in the brand's history, but after the, the second independent push piece, probably the other milestone was in 1969, which 
that really, really did change things, particularly, as you said, Brian, that, you know, chronographs are about 20, 25% of the, the business now. But in those days, you had a chronograph, which was hand wound. Yeah. So, you know, it was a big drain on, on, on the power of the watch. So it was, it was a hand wound watch. And then also what was very popular were, were automatic watches, you know, where, yeah. where obviously it was, um, it was charged by the movement of your, of your wrist. But the two, the two disciplines, if you like, lived separately in parallel worlds. They couldn't be yep. brought together because, and in 1969, Breitling spearheaded a real major breakthrough uh, in collaboration. And, and at the time, um, you know, watch houses worked independently, but there was a lot of secret meetings going on. It was a big investment. And it was in collaboration with Hoyer, Berwin, and the manufacturing of uh, Dubois de Praz. And it was really about how they could bring these two disciplines together. And in 1969, uh, at the Basel Fair in March, Breitling launched their Chronomatic, which was the first self-winding uh, chronograph watch, which was you know, a real game changer then because you had both disciplines in one. And that's how we see it in most, most watches today. But obviously prior to that, it was, it was very different. Yeah. It, um, you know, actually we, we've told them and it was a huge year, 69 and a really interesting race that was going on, you know, between watch brands to be the first one to, you know, effectively deliver the, the automatic uh, chronograph. And, and uh, we've had Jack Howard on, uh, you know, to, uh, talking about it and uh, you guys uh, collaborated uh, with Howard. Uh, we've had uh, Julian Tonar, of course, talking about Zenith and El Primero. And I think actually when you look at it all and then the other one that was doing it obviously was the uh, Seiko company. But all three companies or all three operations have got a right to claim being the first. I think uh, I think Zenith came out and actually sort of announced it first. Uh, you guys were the first ones, I think, to take it to Basel, if I'm not mistaken, and actually have it's working. Product, yes. Yeah, product. so in April, like you did it in January, then you guys in April actually had the product. Um, so you were the first, therefore, to be showing real product that worked, and then, and then Seiko came out. Sometime later, but it, it was um, it was a wonderful year. But the, the sad thing about it is, in some ways, it was the heyday of that uh, era because what followed from that, of course, was the quartz crisis, and uh, Breitling, you know, along with uh, many other brands, ran into difficulty and eventually changed hands. Yeah, it, it was, and and um, I think it's a tsunami really for the for the for the Jura Valley because. The way the Euro Valley was, there was hundreds of thousands, about well, 100 plus thousand people who were either watchmakers or made parts for watches or made the parts that made the parts of watches. It was a very incestuous uh, industry. And yeah. at the time, uh, the, the quartz movement was expensive. I mean, it, it, it was an experience, it hadn't hit its um, industrialization yet. And obviously, clearly, a lot of these independent watch houses and, and independent businesses, and, and let's, let's be honest, way back at the beginning these these guys were farmers you know they were farmers in one season and clock makers in the other and then the whole business uh, evolved but they started going into into tough times but um ernest schneider who's um who's an industrialist he had his own um uh, watch watch company as well bought 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 the, the brightening brand effectively and and did two things actually i mean um he he worked with quartz watches at the beginning and also brought back the sort of heartbeat of the chronograph as well if we we might talk about it later but if we're to talk about that period 
everything was really slim and the whole fashion was to have a, a watch that was was very very thin there were some watches that were sort of two millimeters thick you know you could practically bend them and to have a heavy mechanical watch at that point probably wasn't the most in vogue thing to do but um Ernest, who was a pilot, uh, teamed up with uh, and pitched in, actually, for uh, a contract with the Frecce Tricolori, which was the Italian Red Arrows, if you like, the, um, the, the aerobatic display team. And you know, he, he, he literally went and, and worked with them. He went on, on the runway and, and had studied how they did things and looked at the practicality of what they were looking for. And they wanted not a quartz watch. They wanted the mechanical watch. So uh, uh, Ernest... Um, spent spent the time and and came up with in 1983 it would have been when he launched with the frecce uh was was the you know the new chronomat which was a chronograph it was mechanical it was thick you know it had a, a bezel uh, it had rider tabs and the rider tabs were there to protect the crystal because they found that the uh, pilots when they were opening the canopy of the, of the plane they was they were knocking the watch on the canopy and the, the, the crystal of the watch was was smashing so he's had all these little things that he'd added to it and and that got got the contract and the the, the chronomat was was born and, and in 1984 is celebrating 100 years of brightening is when uh, Ernest Schneider launched um, the chronomat as we probably know it more more today so yeah, and, and that that was against the grain of what was really happening as as a trend, if you like, yeah. because a lot of these businesses were were, were running dormant. Yeah, but I mean ahead of its time in, in many ways, and again another great association for a Breitling to have the big watch, you know, the big robust, indestructible uh, watch, uh, and actually we we kind of jumped over nineteen fifty two, which is when you did the Navi timer. Which to me is still probably the most recognisable Breitling. I know he claimed Chronomat as well, and and certainly Super Ocean that we'll talk about. But it's amazing the the real the, you think the popularity of a, a of a family like Navi Timer today. But it was created back in 1952. Yeah, but it's uh, you know it's uh, almost 70 years old as a as a design and a statement. And the design today you can relate back to to what was done then. Has, I mean, the, 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 the Navi Timer probably is, without doubt, Breitling's most iconic watch, I think. Yeah. Um, at the time, uh, there, there was, well, we were working in instruments on, in the cockpit, but, and, the, and the, the pilots were, were making all their flight calculations from a, a piece of cardboard. It was, uh, you know, the side yeah. rule, looking at um, various things from average speed, distance covered, fuel consumption, you know, all of those things, rate of climb or descent. And, and this was all done sort of offline, if you like, on your lap on this big, big, big piece of card. And uh, what what we did then was 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 bring that on, onto your wrist, bring it onto, onto the watch. So the Navi timer was useful. It was a, a very functional watch. It was um, actually sort of tailored around aviation. So all the aeronautical calculations could be could be done now on, on your wrist. Yep. And it, it did change. It did change everything. I mean, just going back to '52, um, the the Navi Timer became the, the the watch for the uh, AOPA, the aircraft and owners uh, owners and pilots association, which was the largest association of, of air, aircraft owners and pilots in the world. And and the Navi Timer was 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 the official watch for them. So it was highly recognised, you know, within within aviation. And actually, um, just it even made its way into space. I mean, if we go back to 1962, 
the Mercury project with Scott Carpenter. Uh, they, they obviously NASA did a series of tests and the Navi timer passed that test on the ground. And, and he wore a Navi timer uh, when they uh, orbited the Earth three times in the Aurora, the Aurora 7 uh, capsule. I mean, it was slightly different um, from the standard Navi timer. This one had a 24 hour yeah. dial on it because obviously in space, you can't see whether it's daytime or nighttime. But, um, but yeah, that, the Navi timer has got a, quite a historic mark within Brightling's, Brightling's yeah. history. But I think the Scott Carpenter story is a great one. And you'd love the idea of somebody as significant as him in space exploration saying, you know what? I mean, very simply, you could have had an AM and PM on a 12 hour, you know, but he said, no, no, I want a 24 hour uh, dial. And uh, obviously, Breitling uh, responded and created it. What was it called? The Cosmon Cosmonaut? Cos the Cosmonaut, yeah. It later became the Cosmonaut. But at the time, it was it was, it was was an adapted Navi timer, effectively. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the Cosmonaut is its official name, yeah, now, which is quite fitting, actually. <laughs> yeah, I love those uh, love those stories. And uh, and obviously, the, the Schneider family were, were great for Breitling and brought it back to life, all the authenticity and really supporting aviation industry i think was it three generations of the, the schneider family two two actually it was uh it was Ernest, and then later on in uh towards the end of the what's well, the 80s uh teddy teddy took over okay and um and both both of them were keen pilots actually teddy was a helicopter pilot um i'm thinking Ernest was, was both actually he's definitely a, a a pilot and and so obviously that side of the business um, was was a large focus for the business, particularly in in those years. But I mean, if we um, if we think about pilots' watches and jumping around a bit now, but we talked about 1952 with the Navi timer. But the Avi co-pilot in 1953 is is also quite quite. So if you look at the vintage collectors and and those, that was one of the most sought after sort of vintage watches, and yep. and that was again was a was a nice. Um, very simple. I mean, very simple, very practical uh, pilot for watches. It didn't have all the slide rule that the Navitana has, but had all the, the basic sort of requirements that you'd want from from a, a dashboard clock, but on your wrist. Yeah. And of course, also uh, back in the fifties, you you joined in the trend at that time for uh, for divers' watches. So back in the fifties, Submariner and and Seamaster and uh, and Blompans 50, 50 fathom and of course from uh, from Breitling we have the Super Ocean. Yeah, I think um, people's lifestyle and you know the, that whole sports and um, sailing and all, all of those things become yeah. more and more popular. And in nineteen fifty seven, we we launched our first two hundred water resistant watch um, called the Super Ocean. Uh, it's still in existence today, the name, it's carried through. The, at the time, it was a one-piece case, and the movement was cased up from the top, and then you you, you put the armoured crystal over it. And, and again, it had all the practicalities, oversized, luminescent hands, and our markers that really sort of jumped out from, from the dial. And this beautiful panoramic bezel, which was, was, was very clear to see, but also all uh, ergonomically functional with with a glove and oversized crown. So I think you know that that whole era was good. I mean, we didn't we did something in 1957, and then also same with the, the divers watches, if you like. In 1964, we launched our slow motion, which was a, a clever chronograph with this little sort of um, circle at the six o'clock position that went from white to black 
on a timer so you could visibly see when you're underwater how your oxygen level, you know, what the, the timing was. And then later on um, in the 80s, 80, 1983, we, we went a little deeper and we launched our 1,000 uh, meter water resistant watch, our, our deep sea. So we've had a, a bit of a relationship out, outside of the sky, if you like. Um, did a little trip to space and uh, and then dived into the water. So there's 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 roots in in all, all of these areas. Yeah, but but all about great technical uh, precision and functionality, and um, you know which is what we all love about watches. We love the stories and we love all these technical developments. And at the end of the day, it's still a beautiful, crafted you know uh, mechanical piece. So I mean, the other thing with the, the, the Schneider family ownership and 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 in particular was the image of Breitling during that time. You certainly got to say it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, with the the pop art and and all the, the various little toys and gimmicks. It really was great fun as an image. Yeah, I think um, I think the philosophy then was to, I mean, bear in mind it's still a family business and yeah. there's a lot of big 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 brands out there and was almost walking against the grain from what everyone else was doing. Was, yep. was, was, you know, there, there, was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, it's a great history with Breitling, so maybe that never got uh, articulated as well during that period. But what, what did happen is, is Breitling got noticed, you know, yeah. it was because it was quite a disruptive model, it's quite a disruptive brand. So it, it was a bit rock and roll on times, I'd, I'd agree. Yeah. And and, uh, and the pop art and the, some of these, uh, some of these things you probably wouldn't expect from a watch brand, and I, I yeah. think that was very much the philosophy around around Teddy, particularly to to sort of um, ha have have a brand that that sort of arrests your attention and makes you stop and think. Yeah, it it certainly did. I, I think it was great fun, and I think a great uh, you know marketing success, and ultimately a, a fabulous uh, financial success. And I've got to tell our listeners um, when you and I um, went to to Grenchen, and uh, met with you know Terry and, and the team and had a very good business meeting. Um, we then were going to the uh, the manufacturer, so we go out and get into the, the the Breitling Bentley, and we drive in the Breitling Bentley to the airfield and get out and get into the Breitling helicopter. And uh, the then CEO flies the helicopter, you know, down yeah. the valley to get to the manufacturer. It was it was very Breitling, the entire experience, but uh, but really great fun. I'm sure. I'm sure. At some point, you had a go on the stick as well, didn't you, Brian? If I remember, he gave right. me the joystick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he must have known what he was doing right enough. But uh, yes, that was great. That was a wonderful trip, Gavin, and uh, that that was a real highlight. And I remember, you know, coming back up the valley and was it Lake Neuchatel you can see from? Yeah, Neuchatel. Yeah. It was Neuchatel. Yeah, and we had the Alps really? to the other side. So I think. Yeah. Uh, Yes, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was fabulous. I mean, the interesting thing is the offices are literally two minutes from the, from the airfield as well. I mean, you, yeah. you, you'll find so it's. Uh, no, I remember that trip well. Actually, I remember it well. But I mean, the, the Schneider family themselves, outside of that, they, I mean, in the late two thousands, uh, made a huge investment again, going down to the accuracy and confidence in in. And what the brand was doing and made a hundred percent of our total production you know our total production all cosc certified now yep. at the, what does that mean it, it means it's it's effectively the cosc is the swiss official chronometer testing institute and they're effectively the time police you know they're they're sort of um, it's an external body that, that tests all of your movements to make sure that the timekeeping holds up to a certain 
uh, list of KPIs and the different temperatures and different positions. And, and at the time, actually, um, only 3% of the Swiss watch, watches made were, were, were cost certified. And, and Breitling, still to this day, 100% of our production is, is, is under that, that, that testing certificate before, yeah. it leaves, before it leaves the production and lands in, in your stores. Yeah, no, 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 great. But uh, so big financial success, obviously, with uh, uh, with uh, the Schneider family leading to you know, a big investment group, seeing the value that was there and, and uh, uh, CVC uh, buying the brand in uh, 2017 and then making a really a inspirational move by by poaching George Kern from uh, from Richemont yeah. and bringing him in as CEO and um and George is a, uh, as we know, is a force of nature on on products, on business, and on marketing, and and doing an amazing job, including a you know a redo of of the image, which again is very very noticeable, uh, very very contemporary, very very cool. It's all about the squads, and the squads on a mission, and um, you know I mean, clearly massive celebrities, Brad Pitt. Uh, Charlize Theron, uh, Adam Driver. It's um, who who's not part of the uh, of the Breitling ambassadors. <laughs> I mean, I, I must say, uh, uh, George came in and right from day one, actually, um, said this brand is 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 phenomenal. I mean, its history, its provenance, all the things that 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 we've done and it's done over the years. And as you said, George is a great visionary. You know, yep. he, he obviously saw what, what was there. And the fantastic thing for us is that we're now living that vision. You know, I think it's three years in and so much has happened. So much has happened. The, uh, there's been changes of the collections. There's been a, a more contemporary edge put to it. The, obviously, the communication has, has, has become a little softer. It's less, less pop art and, 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 and more contemporary, as you said, even our boutiques and everything has got a much warmer, uh, much warmer feeling and, and is very inviting. And the, the message really is, is from George has been, we've got credibility in all of these fields, whether you're flying, which is where we spent most of the last 25 years, but, but also you know, we've, 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 we've had a lot to do with uh, cycling and, and, and racing and the Bentley partnership clearly but also where we look at um, in the water with our diving watches. So, and our best-selling watch was a diving watch. I mean, it yep. had been for years. So, um, so what we have now is a real clear sort of architecture of, 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 of the brand in terms of where, which worlds it fits in. We have a real clear uh, design architecture as to what type of product fits in those worlds. So it's easier for the, for the customers and everyone to read and understand the brand and which yeah. part of the brand to access for which which area and the other thing which i think is, shouldn't be underestimated at all is our industry is it, you know watches are expensive they are yeah. expensive they're very aspirational items and i think what george has managed to do is is to build a, a almost a community which is very accessible it's very informal it's it's everyday luxury is what yeah. we're doing this it is it is a an expensive item or, or purchase, but it's one to be worn, not put in a cupboard, and it's part to enjoy. And I think uh, when we look at that, the boutiques, the environment itself is very informal and very relaxed. And, and, and that's, I think, what we need to be today. And that's what yeah. George had said from the beginning. So we're on this journey three years in, and lots have happened in the three years. And I think there's going to be an even <laughs> a lot more to happen over the next three to five years as well. So uh, it's not... Uh, 
nobody's sitting back here. It's definitely uh, an exciting period. No, for sure. And I, and I must say, I think it's the perfect match, the Breitling and uh, and George. And and um, and I think all of you, you know, as, as is, I'm sure, evident to people listening, is, uh, Breitling's a great fun organisation. You're a great, great fun to deal with. George is very, you know, energetic and dynamic and great to deal with. And, you know, and then... Uh, um, similarly with Thierry in, in the States when we have our dealings, you've all got that you're all straight, straightforward but um, you enjoy a laugh enjoy uh, some fun and I think it all very much reflects the, what the brand's all about, it's, a, it's great and, um, and it's been like you say, it's been such a um, dynamic uh, development uh, of the brand and the product and it's, it's working, I mean it's, it's got tremendous momentum uh, UK and US, and we're just delighted to be a part of it. So let's let's talk about the collections today. What they what they all represent. Will we start with an Navi timer? Yes, yes. We can start with the. I mean, in terms of the the, the spirit of the collection, it's just going back to that the, the structure. We have our air, land, and, and sea products, if you like, the worlds, and we then have a more universal world, which is um, the the professionals element, where we. We've got watches we didn't mention actually, like our emergency, which are the proper tool watches and and for explorers, etc. And and clearly the navi and and also we've got the, the design axis. We've got something that's more modern uh, in our design, and we've got something that's a little bit more re retro, if you like, or modern retro. So those are the two sort of axes, if you like. So we have historical products, and you could say that the navi timer fits into that, as you said before, it's sixty years old plus and in 1952 I'll do my maths correct in a moment and uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the the look of the watch and the very nature of that watch hasn't changed I mean the identity of that watch is, is pretty much more or less what it was back then and so it's got a real historical look to it real classic look to it and that 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 is a flagship model for us uh, and within the sort of air category if you like um, we also have our Avenger series, which is on the other side of the spectrum, which is a more modern sports watch that's sort of designed for the uh, sort of air, air side of our, our business. Then if we sort of dial down and go a little further down, we've got our, our land category. So we've got, which we haven't mentioned yet, but we've got the Premier, which is a beautiful, beautiful watch. We launched it in the 1940s, mid 1940s, and it was a, a more elegant uh, sort of chronograph watch. So at the time it had oval, um, uh, sorry, round and uh, rectangular pushes, but it was very much a more sophisticated and elegant chronograph to be worn by, by stylish chap at the time. And that's very much part of the collection today that was reintroduced a year ago, and it's, it's been a real nice addition. And then if we look further down, um, our divers watches, again, on the historical uh, element and more classical elements, we've got our super ocean series sort of super ocean heritage which has got a little bit more of a retrospective um, retrospective feel about it and then on the modern side we have the super ocean series which is a bit more sporty and a bit more modern so i think today when we look at the collections they're much easier to read in terms of what they're for what's their purpose what's their use uh, but also just some of the design cues you, you, if someone wants something a little bit more classical and a bit more retro, we have something on one one spectrum. And also, if they want something, you know, with more modern touches, then then we definitely have that in in the stable. So I think it's a lot lot, lot stronger now than it's it's been for a long, long time. Yeah, 
But I think the way the collections evolved, where the whole collection of the brand has evolved with these uh, kind of sub-brands or sub-positioning is really very impressive. And like you say, very complete. There's something there for everybody uh, now. And it all makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of it, it when all of it, it refers back to the authority of the heritage. I and mean, it's really coming from the origins in terms of the look and feel and functionality, but then delivered in a, a really contemporary relevant way uh, today. So I, I think it's been great, the development. I've got to mention in the, in the premiere, we loved doing the um, uh, the exclusive that we did with you. One of my favourite watches of all time, slightly biased, of course, but it's uh, but it's a gorgeous, and it's that perfect kind of blend between classic and, and sporty. It's a great chronograph uh, with the blue subdials, um, um, but it's, it's, it's not a working bezel. It's just a regular uh, case in steel and then it's... Uh, beautiful blue strap it's um something very proud of it's a it's a great association it, it was a lovely product to do it's a lovely project yep. to do and i think when we all saw it at the office we were sort of because we didn't have a blue chronograph like that in the range and it's a really nice blue as well yep. it translates yep. very well on that dial um and 150 pieces it's between us and the us i believe isn't it yeah uh, the allegation yeah yeah and uh selling uh, very very well uh, not surprisingly and uh, I would say too, um, you know, we're all going through this uh, this this awful year that we've all been through. Um, and one of the things that we thought were, would have happened is that we would had would have had very little new product development uh, this year. Uh, but we've been pleasantly surprised by uh, what the brands have managed to do. But uh, for sure, one of the leaders in that regard has been Breitling, and, and of course, George gets out before anybody else. And uh, uh, just as the lockdown's getting going, if you like, and uh, does this amazing social media launch of uh, fantastic updates uh, that were done this year. And, and, and one of the amazing things is that, you know, from all of what we've discussed about the brand, everybody would correctly get the feeling that it's historically been a masculine brand uh, for sure. And um, you've never really managed to penetrate the, the women's market up till this year. Uh, the launch on Navitimer 35 uh, was a real turning point. Fantastic launch. I mean, we, we, <clears throat> we've had in the past a couple of watches that might be like the Calistino or Starliner that, 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 that have, have, have worked. But I think it's safe to say we've never really been in, 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 in that field. We've never cracked it. And one of the key things, and it took a long time to unravel actually, is, is traditionally we've had these technical watches. Traditionally, they've had lots of dials. And so traditionally they've been bigger watches and, and yeah. that doesn't always work well uh, when we're talking about you know, delivering elegance and something that's a bit more sophisticated, particularly in a smaller case and maintaining the design codes of brightening. Uh, yeah. And that, that's the key is to develop a watch for the ladies market that definitely is instantly recognizable as being a Breitling and, 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 and finding that, that, that formula, if you like. And the 35, we launched it earlier on, I think it's the 16th of April. So, you know, everyone's getting used to the, 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 the pandemic and the lockdown. And um, you're right. I mean, uh, in terms of being dynamic and being on the front foot, uh, George did the webcast. And really, I mean, this, this product is, is quite something. I mean, we've been delighted. All our partners have been delighted. Um, if you don't know the watch, it's it's from the Navi Timer. It's the design user from the Navi Timer. It's got yep. it's a 35 millimeter case. 
it's got the circular slide wall with this beautiful beaded edge around it, which plays with light. And uh, it's a three-hand watch, and there's some really interesting dials. There's a copper dial, there's a mother of pill diamond dot dial. Uh, but actually, when you look at it, it's a brightening watch. Yeah. And that's really been the key, I think, is, is let's, let's find something that is definitely unique to us in, in its look and feel, yeah. but obviously does tick the box with elegance and style and sophistication. And I, I think that when we're looking at the... The matrix for ladies this this definitely falls into the elegant elegant package and, and yep. it's, it's been a real success yeah no I, I can confirm that it's been a fantastic success and then we when we thought we'd had enough of uh, great surprises along comes uh, summertime in august and george on the stage again in geneva uh, presenting the endurance pro with uh, with three triathletes uh, with him and and uh, a film of him you know getting it on and off of his bike and <laughs> Uh, jumping in boats and whatever, but introducing some fantastic, fun product again with the Endurance Pro. Yeah, and that's that's been really, really good. I mean, yeah, it was like a scene from planes, trains, and automobiles, wasn't it? Yeah. Sort of, uh, it was, uh, but uh, the Endurance Pro is um, it's uh, that whole market of fitness, sports, athleisure. I mean, let's it's not a uh, a computer watch. It's it's an analog watch. It does do, um, you know, it's got a chronograph function. It's got a pulsometer. It's got these sort of analog sort of attributes to it, like we've always done on our watches, even on our pocket watches way back when from the Leon days. So there's real credibility with with the DNA of it, but it's it's up to date. It's modern. We talk about modernity, and and we're using a you know a, a state of the art materials with bright light, which is. Um, Effectively, it's it's a composite that's three three point three times lighter than, than titanium. Yep. So, it's got a real wearer benefit where you could have something that's completely lightweight. You can wear it in your activity and, and not really feel like you've got a, a watch on. But yep. clearly, it's 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 got uh, some performance there, water resistant, all of those things. But equally, it's you know there's five colours. It looks really cool. It's really punchy. There's red, blue orange, yellow and white. And, yep. and actually it's been, it's been a real success, real success and a great price point actually, because it's at the, yeah. you know, it's at the two and a half thousand pound price point in, in, in the brand. Yeah. And again, just right on the money for, I think what the market was looking for. Yeah. Some, some fun, some innovation, uh, some great value. Yeah. All round. And uh, I can confirm it's a great success. I, I should have mentioned earlier on, that uh, one of the conditions of uh, doing this podcast is we'll, we should get privileged supply of all these hard to get products. <laughs> did, I, did I not mention that? That was uh, one of the deals. You probably said something yeah. you never realized. But... There, there was some disclaimer I had to sign beforehand. Yeah, that was it. That was one. <laughs> Another great launch was a great surprise and that we, we heard about from uh, George and Spring was a relaunch of the Chronomat. Wonderful, iconic product. I didn't know about the wonderful bracelet. What is it, the machine gun bracelet? What's it called? Yeah, the bullet bracelet. The bullet, bullet bracelet. bracelet. The rouleau yeah. bracelet. The rouleau yeah. bracelet, but the bullet bracelet, yeah. Well, I mean, that, tell, that, tell us about the chronomat. Well, that that one, it's it's a flagship model for us. And um, it's really uh, the 42 or the new version. It's 42 millimeters, slightly, slightly smaller on the wrist than the ones we've had before. It's got a tapered case. It's got oval buttons, so it sits a lot lower on the wrist. Um, and with this new ruler bracelet, it's a new ruler bracelet, it's a redesigned ruler bracelet. Um, it, it fits almost in, in, 
integrated into the case. So it's got a really, really nice feel. Uh, for us, it's it's fantastic that we've got this back in the collection. It's it's the real DNA of Breitling. When you look at the, when you look at it, it definitely looks like a Breitling. And we do it with the B01 movement, a variety of different dial uh, colors, and it's got the ex ex um, exhibition case back. So we're really pleased to see that this year. It started very well. We will be. Uh, we did a Freccio Tricolori limited edition to, to launch it to nod to the 1983 version at launch and in the not so distant future we'll be doing something with, with the red arrows as well so to mark the 160 pilots that have worn the red suit so that will be coming through in the UK shortly. Um, so yeah we're, we're delighted with the chronomat but equally just going back to the ladies uh, again uh, to support the Navi timer which the Navitimer ladies products have been fantastic. We've just launched in the autumn the ladies chronomat. And again, two sizes, uh, 36 millimeter in an automatic and 32 millimeter in the quartz. But again, the, the design, it looks like a ladies brightling. You've got the ruler bracelet on there, which feels like a piece of jewelry. You've got the, uh, the rider tabs, but it's being distinguished by some really interesting dial options. There's this beautiful mint green, even the, the, the lacquered white stands out, and there's this beautiful copper sort of dial. So we're, we're really excited about the chronomat as a whole, and obviously the, the collection that we now have for the ladies as we go into, as we go into next year. You know, I, I, can, uh, I can confirm there's a lot of people excited about the chronomat. Our team in uh, Leicester, Mark Tolson, uh, who we all know well, who's our yes, leader on, on everything to do with product, Ab absolutely loves the, uh, the new Chronomat. And um, yeah, I, I think for real Breitling enthusiasts, it's a, it's a fantastic collection and a great relaunch. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I think the whole story of, of uh, Breitling is great. And I think so much of the story is yet to be written with uh, the kind of momentum that the, that the brand is on. And we just uh, love uh, love working with you guys and representing the brand. Uh, like you said, but all cost certified, all very authentic product. Uh, you know, to to the origins, to the heritage, but then done in this contemporary way. It's uh, it's really great, and I love the stores and I love the, that we're working on great projects together with uh, with Mono Brands. And um, the next one that we'll open together is in the the great city of uh, Glasgow, of course. I seem to yes. remember, you know, your way around Glasgow pretty well. Last time we were there together, I dropped you off at a pub, if I remember right. Oh, I think I think it would be rude not to, right? I think uh, <laughs> yeah. we we got to get up there and have a have a nice party as uh, as soon as we can, and uh, celebrate what I think will be a great opening up in the uh, Buchanan Street and St Vincent Street, and um, and I'm a lot a lot of other projects we're working on uh, working on besides, and obviously love representing you guys here in the UK. And in the US, and you know, got a, got a great uh, developing business together. So it's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you, Gavin, and uh, lovely to hear you. You clearly know everything there is to know about uh, about Breitling, and uh, talk about it with uh, with great passion and uh, and knowledge. And it's uh, it's been very good to spend this time with you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on here, and it's a, always a pleasure to see Brian, and it's always. It was a pleasure to work with you. I mean, I think we've got some great things lined up and we're really looking forward to April the 12th, getting the stores open and uh, and obviously sort of kicking on from where we've been over the past 12 months. So thank you for having me. Yep, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcast and Spotify.